You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Matt. And Matt's joined us at extremely short notice because Simon and Lee were supposed to be here tonight and both of them have dropped out the barrel, the shower. I wonder what you're going to say then for a minute. <laughs> the butt. <laughs> <laughs> so I've rung Matt up and Matt, you're a, from what I understand, you are a big fan of podcasts. Is that right? I've never listened to a whole podcast. And I was enticed in with the words, I couldn't think of anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's not strictly speaking true. You're lying already. <laughs> we you were. You tried loads of people before, but they didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. actually true. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Matt, we were going to talk about John Pertwee tonight. What do you think of John Pertwee? Uh, he was an actor, wasn't he? Yeah. Also yeah. to another actor called Bill Pertwee, I think, his more famous brother. I'm more a Sean Pertwee man. I'm trying to interview him at the moment for a book. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Shall I get a book plug in straight away? <laughs> well, this, well, we're not going to talk about John Pertwee after all. We're just going to make this whole podcast a 60-minute book plug. 60 minutes? Yes, I had to be very careful how I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, oh. i tell you what, Matt. <clears throat> right off the bat, then. For those people who are listening who don't know who you are, would you like to explain about Milk Publishing? Explain about it or excuse it? <laughs> excuse it. That's probably a better thing. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're a little independent publisher doing cult TV and film books. And we've been going nearly two, more than two years now, I think. Nearly more than two years. Nearly more than two years, yeah. Maths yeah. isn't our strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> Words were good, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know, actually. I've read a few of your yeah. books. Can't get the editors. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, uh, well, let's go back to the start. What was it that made you want to go into publishing? Um, I have to be tactful here, don't I? I suppose. Um, um, yeah, I guess you do actually, because I've done. I'm going to come out and say it. Yeah, <laughs> because I know that I'm going to see him soon, so I can excuse it if I see him. Um, Tim Hurst's failure got us into publishing. <laughs> well, anybody who's read the You and Who book and has got as far as the end of uh, William Hartnell will know what Tim had to say about that. Now, so yes. I think that's fair enough. We were going to do a book. Um, we, we'd already done one book with Tim. We did um, the Autumn book with him. In 2010, I think it was. That's and we were another do... example of your excellence with numbers there, Matt. <laughs> and words, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we were going to do Maximum Power with him, the Blake 7 book. And that was when things started to go very badly wrong there. And so we decided to do it on our own. And when we did that, a couple of other people 
jumped ship as well. And we, we had one of those conversations of, why don't we just, do, you know, let's put on the show on our own. <laughs> just do it ourselves. Do you know, it's not that difficult. <laughs> it's, I suppose, I suppose the thing about doing that sort of thing is, it's not just about the wherewithal. I suppose keeping it up. I suppose it's not that difficult to get started, but as Tim will no doubt, you know, is testament to, I suppose it's the keeping it up, especially when problems start <laughs> to throw themselves at you. Oh God, this is just going to be, <laughs> we're going to have well, to call euphemisms, euphemisms delight. That's going to be yeah. the name of this episode. Nice. The thing, I mean, we were luckier than Tim in that we could see where things went wrong for him and we could take advantage of that. So there were things that I can easily see we could have fallen into the same traps he did if we'd have started before him. Mm. Um, it's very easy to get carried away. When, when pre-orders start flooding in on a book, you think, wow, this is easy. But not every book is as easy to sell as the next one. And yeah. you, you really need to... Well, I think the main thing we learned was to keep the numbers down you know only do a few books a year don't get carried away yeah i think that was tim's big problem wasn't it but we shouldn't talk about tim he's not here well, we, we could ring him yeah, we could <laughs> i think he'd be scared if my if my phone came up on his <laughs> like my number came up he'd wonder what the hell was going on but he you probably, should do it <laughs> but maybe actually that's not a bad idea i wouldn't mind talking getting tim on and talking to tim but we shouldn't discuss the no, uh, no, background no, no. to the podcast while we're actually recording the podcast should we makes for thrilling <laughs> it's either that or john pertwee i mean <laughs> oh god yeah we can save save john pertwee for another time that's so shame, Mac shame Oh, yeah, because <laughs> Lee really wanted to talk about John Pertwee and then disappeared like two minutes before <laughs> the podcast was due to start recording. So Maximum Power was the start of Milk, basically, then? It was, yeah, it was Maximum Power and Carry On Confidential. They were the two that started it off. And Rob and I today, that's Rob Hammond, who is also one of Milk, um, we've just finished packing up a whole stack of JNT books and You uh, and Who books. And we were just saying in the car on the way to the post office that, you know, two years ago, we struggled to get that first batch of orders out. But now we're actually doing all right. We've got a system going now. And we, we and I've made some mistakes in the last two years. Things you learn from. Learn by doing. Yeah. You know, like jiffy bags. I thought jiffy bags were a great idea. I thought that's how you got stuff through the post, but they are useless for books. Really? What's the problem with jiffy bags then? Postman. Go on. <laughs> this is a touchy subject. <laughs> oh, no, I don't mind. I might be one, but I'm not all of them. <laughs> There's two problems. <laughs> this is going to sound so sad. There are two problems with Jiffy Bags. The first one is that not all Jiffy Bags are the same. You could buy a box of 400 Jiffy Bags, but they won't all be the same. Um, what you need for a book is a lip that will fold over on the top and protect the top of the book. And we've got a box here now of Jiffy Bags, which the bubble wrap doesn't go right to the edge of the box. So when you fold it over, the top of the book gets bashed. And I never noticed that. And we started to get Ooh. complaints about books that arrived damaged. And the other problem with a jiffy bag is that when you push a book into it, it can usually crease the front cover. Yeah, because of the bubble wrap on the inside. If it's a yeah. snug fit, you're going to have a problem with it, aren't you? Which, as the books got fatter, <clears> became a problem. I mean, Prophets of Doom, I, I, I can remember trying to bash those down on the edge of a table trying to get them into the jiffy bags. It was never going to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh so my... now we use proper cardboard book wraps, which are expensive, but they work. 
Thank goodness for that. You know, the people who listen to this podcast who are also the people who've bought your book, which probably is about maybe three people, are going to be thinking to themselves now, so that's how my prophets of doom got buggered up. No, it didn't. No, we only had one damaged prophets come back. Oh, really? Like, that was really damaged. Yeah, that looked like it had been run over by something. Yeah, but you're going to get another 15 after this goes out. <laughs> that many? <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not. We but don't no. have that big a listenership. Yeah. <laughs> do people really listen to this? <laughs> I, I'm is this told, like a, a Jiffy Bag podcast? <laughs> this is now. There's an idea. Well, you know, I, people keep telling us that they, the thing they most enjoy about our podcast is not the fact that we're talking about the Doctor Who, but the banter. Apparently, oh, we it's make not about the, Doctor Who, is it? We're well, supposed to be. You didn't tell me any of this. Well, we told you it was going to be about John Pertwee. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you thought we were going to talk about the Navy Lark for an hour. No, who done damage. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, changing tack entirely then. And okay, let's ask you a Doctor Who question, Matt. Mm. <laughs> what is what is your favourite television series? Oh God, you're gonna have to give me a genre. <laughs> um, well, that's like saying what's your favourite film. You can't narrow it down to what well, I can actually, but you can't narrow it down to one. Oh, film. that's interesting. Go on then, narrow your favourite film down to one. It's one of two, and one sounds <laughs> one sounds really obnoxious and sort of you know elitist, and the other one's going to sound like I'm deliberately trying not to be obnoxious or elitist. <laughs> okay, so give us the give us the non-elitist one first. The Breakfast Club. No, you're kidding. Really? No. Yeah. Oh wow, Mark. I've what do you a... think? Go on, go on, Matt. No, no, go on, Mark. I... <laughs> well, I was going to say, Mark. What do you think of the Breakfast Club? Um, I was more of a pretty and pink man myself. Yeah, I know that. But what did you think of the Breakfast Club? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I got to say, I've only seen it once, years and years and years ago. What about the Breakfast Club then? What is it about that film? <sighs> it's a very, very good piece of writing. And John is, I mean, I, I will quite happily sit through any John Hughes film, even Home Alone. I mean, he came up with some really good stuff. He writes his own. <laughs> so I thought of some strange euphemism as well. <laughs> that is not a euphemism this time. It John Hughes, now. he writes and directs. He wrote and directed. He's yeah. dead. Oh, okay. Fair he enough. He died about five years ago. Oh, really? Quite young. Yeah. I was going to say he couldn't have been that old. But he'd pretty much shied away from film by then. I mean, I, I, th I think part of that may have been uh, the criticism that you know Home Alone 2, 3, and 4 probably got. But he, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, he wrote uh, National Lampoon. He did a lot of those. And National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, he did all those. Yeah. Of, planes, I, I, Trains, I, and Automobiles, which, I mean, if you don't cry at the end of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, there's something very wrong with you. Oh, really? Maybe I should catch up with that. I've got to say, that is an area of films I've never really done more than dip my toes in. Maybe I should. Well, I love 80s films. See, I'm the opposite. I don't like 80s films. Not really there's, at all. There's never been a bad film made in the 1980s. Oh, I'm sure we could think of one or two. No, hey. even the Care Bears movie. I love the Care Bears <laughs> movie. Did you ever see The Sword and the Sorcerer? Well, yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic film made in the 80s. 
<laughs> this is like a bad date, isn't it? <laughs> it is. That's the whole idea of a podcast like this. Let's find some common ground. <laughs> no, but the sword and the sorcerer. I don't know what it was about that film. I think it was because I saw it like just after Conan the Barbarian. And Conan the Barbarian was like two and a half hours and a bit ponderous. And then the sword and the sorcerer came out and it was like an hour and a half telling even more story probably. And it was just fast and furious and silly and daft. And well, I kind of like silly and daft. We know as Doctor Who fans that the era you love is the era you grew up with. Mm. And other people don't usually like the era you grew up with. I find that because I grew up in the 80s. So those you are the films I love. Turlo. Well, not literally, but yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> in fact, I'm, my wife and I, and I don't want to nick, um, <laughs> uh, what was it, my tr- um, wife in space here, nick their idea, but Neil my Perryman. wife wanted to watch, um, yeah, Neil per- I couldn't think of Neil's surname. I was, why is his surname? <laughs> I don't want to nick their idea here, but my wife wanted to watch Doctor Who this year, and she wanted to watch them all from scratch, and we're up to Resurrection of the Daleks, which gives you an idea of how dull a year we've had. Oh. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, we're well married. into Turlo at the moment. You're still married. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know what, though? Some people wouldn't consider that a dull year. Neil Perryman probably wouldn't consider that a dull year. Yeah, but you see, we are clearly better than him because he took years to do this. We've I... knocked him out in a few weeks. <laughs> oh, no. See, we're back in the subject of euphemisms again now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know about it. So He's got a book of Wife in Space coming out, hasn't he? Kind of trying to get back to books again. And if Neil's listening, yes, I have ordered it. Oh, really? I have not. So, Neil, if you're listening, uh, get on the emails and tell me why I should. I had to drive to a bookshop to order it because I refused to order anything from Amazon and there was no other way of buying it online. Oh, Oh, really? Who's Who's the publisher? Oh, someone big. He got a proper deal. He's with the real publisher. A proper deal. That's just not right. You shouldn't... You should not put... Doctor Who books out with proper publishers it is not part of the deal. Mm. Yeah, I, I, no, <laughs> I don't agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> I think if you get the opportunity, snatch it up, yeah. take the money and run. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Mind you, he's the book he's putting out is not the blog. It's a book about writing the blog, isn't it, really? Yeah, I, I think it could be a very interesting book. Because I oh, think yeah. he's concentrating on um, a lot of fan reaction as well, and some of the forum chatter, and I think that could be uh, could be quite like an interesting a story, book, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think it is as well because what he's doing, from what I gather, is telling the story of the blog, and also telling the story of you know him growing up as a fan, which I guess is Nick Hornby territory. Mm. But you know, well, you know as well as Mark does, Matt, from my obsession with you and who that's the kind of story i like to read yeah and i think we've we found a new new area here for the internet of reviewing books that haven't actually been published yet (laughs) (laughs) i suppose that's fair enough so um before we find out i think it might have a blue spine (laughs) (laughs) a pale blue or dark blue oh i think dark blue i think you're right but i'd like to see it in pale blue Maybe they could do maybe they could do a limited edition in a paler blue for people like me. Or you could just paint it. I could do, but that would involve going down to the model shop and buying some paint. Uh, patently, I'm not going to do that. I bought a beautiful coffee table book of um, <laughs> s- 
Sid Barrett. <laughs> I'm so glad you said book. <laughs> I thought uh, this is the world's biggest conversation changer I've ever had. But if you'd bought a coffee table and you tried to paint it with one of those dinky little paint brushes you get and one of those dinky little tins of paint you buy in the model shop, you'd be there for weeks. Yeah. I was going to say, I bought this coffee table book. It's a Sid Barrett book and it's all of his artwork and quite a lot of his background and it's really beautifully presented in this beautiful um, box which is covered in uh, orange fabric and it's got like a metallic uh, copy of his signature on it. I think we should do a limited edition version of uh, You and Who with your signature on it in that same style. Oh, maybe. Big question about the Sid Barrett book though is mm. once you peel back the orange fabric, does it have a pale blue cover underneath? No, sadly not. Oh, I need a pale blue cover. I'm looking That's around... Good. Yeah, on, oh. on the subject of covers, we were going to do you and who the um, the actual title was meant to be um, silver silver leaf. <laughs> oh yes, but it turned out to be ridiculously unaffordable, didn't it? it well, we didn't realize. <laughs> we assumed that was a fairly <laughs> straightforward job. Um, Bit of hot foil stamping, everyone's a winner. Easy, exactly. But no, they had to get a die cut and everything else, and that that cost money. Twenty five quid, job done. <laughs> it's a little more than twenty five quid. <laughs> I've got I've I've got a real problem with limited editions. You know, we did the limited edition of the J and T heart, yeah, yeah, which I didn't think would really sell. I've got a lot of limited editions, and like that Sid Barrett book, they're usually in like a big, you know, elaborate box with a yeah. nice, you know, sort of sliding case. I'm scared to read them. Yeah, I, know I don't want mean. to damage them, or they're too impractical to read. Like I got um, when I worked at a bookshop. I managed to get on discount that massive far side collection, hundred quid for two sodding great volumes. Wow. And you, you can't lift them. They're about three kilograms each. <laughs> um, I only ever read on the toilet. If I were to try and do that oh with my that, God. Oh, no. there, would be, there would be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, my problems in the other one, I only read when I'm <clears throat> smoking out the front of the house. Mm. And, um, Filthy habit. Yeah, but you know that that's the problem for me is not the limited edition books that are too big to pick up, but the fact that books are made of paper and if it's raining, I have real trouble keeping it dry. Mm. Anyway, Matt, tell us what your snobby choice of a favourite film was. Seriously, we're going to talk films, okay? We'll talk about um, anything. It's another one that's going to make you cry at the end, and if you don't cry, there's again something very wrong with you. But it's Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Oh, that's one of those funny films where they all talk gobbledygook, isn't it? And they have to put words at the bottom of the screen so you can understand what's going on. <laughs> Not only that, it's sung in French. Oh, wow. my Lord. It does have yeah. that extremely famous sequence, though, that um, what's-his-face ripped off in The Fisher King. Do you know about this? Have you seen The Fisher King? Not since it came out. And I, I remember just... not enjoying it. Mind you, I was... Well, we won't go through that, but yeah, go on. Well, it's a Terry Gilliam film, isn't it? I don't think you're supposed to enjoy them. I, 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 yeah, I want to like Terry Gilliam films, but I do struggle with them. I think he, I think that there's a bit too much Terry Gilliam in Terry Gilliam films. I think, <laughs> you know, it's all right being slightly eccentric, but when you put every frame up on the screen and put something eccentric in every frame it's just a bit it's a bit like the guy who walks down the street pointing at himself and saying i'm mad me you know <laughs> what i mean it's the annoying uncle yeah and i think terry gilliam suffers a bit from that syndrome but in the middle of um the fisher king he has the sequence where can't remember the actress's name 
uh, comes out from her job or something and it's the end of the working day. A bit like in Brazil, they're all walking down the street in grey suits and umbrellas and all of a sudden they go into the umbrellas of Sherbourg number. I could be wrong because it's years since I've seen it, but I'm sure that's how I remember it. You're not thinking of the, the scene in the train station, are you, where everyone starts dancing and... Grand Central Station, yeah. yeah. Oh, it could be, it could be, yeah. It's years yeah. since I've seen it. Didn't happen in, in Umbrellas of Sherbourg, as far as I can remember. Oh, am I cheating? thinking of something else? Yeah, I might be. I haven't watched a film for a long, long time. <laughs> I used to be quite a sort of... Sword of the Sorcerer, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> no, actually, I used to be quite up on films, but I don't know, about ten years ago, it all started sort of, well, it slid away. We've got this thing called DVD now, JR. It's quite popular. Ampling, I right? know, but oh god, yeah. Well, I used to have about a thousand DVDs, and I got rid of most of them. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's that seems to be the thing to do these days, doesn't it? You spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds building up a collection of something, and then one day you just get on the phone or on the email to some company who'll give you fifty quid and come and take the whole lot off your hands, or lose it. In the case of Music Magpie. Oh, yeah, you had a nasty experience with them, didn't you? Yeah. Did you ever... Well, go on, tell the story if you want to, not if you don't want to. I don't want to because I wouldn't want to bore the poor people that have listened to... (laughs) How long have we been doing this now? The hours and hours of this. (laughs) Well, we've been doing it for about a year and a bit. I think about a year and a quarter. It feels like it. Okay, tell us then, Matt, what is... what? Okay, let's bring it back to Doctor Who. What's your favourite Doctor Who story? Um, I, it's kind of trite, but it's for for various reasons. It's probably five doctors. Oh, that's yeah, okay. It's not the classic in inverted commas Doctor Who. No, but, I, I think there are better stories, but yeah. my favourite is Five Doctors. Yeah, we um when I was when I when I were we, we <laughs> I, I used to have um swimming lessons on a bloody Tuesday and Thursday night. Oh, <laughs> so. Man. Because of all the fuss, my nan bought a video, and this was uh, 81 she started recording them. The first one she recorded was Black Orchid. And so mm-hmm. she would record Doctor Who for me during the week, and we'd always go over there on a Saturday, so I'd watch Doctor Who on a Saturday. Oh, but classic. She, but the tapes were really expensive, so I'd watch it three times on the Saturday, and then she'd record over it, and the next week she'd do another one. But Five Doctors was the only one she kept, and I watched Five Doctors more times than is healthy for anyone. <laughs> well, uh, you know, <laughs> that's not unusual in this kind of fandom, is it? It's not, but I've got a real soft spot for it because I just know it off my heart. It's, I don't know, I've always said this about Terence Dix's script. It, there's some brilliant dialogue in there. Do you know what? There, there isn't really. <laughs> I just watched <laughs> this again with Joe because this is the first time I've watched oh, really? Doctor Who in sequence. So when we got up to it, I was all ready for it, and then I suddenly realised that he doesn't write for Doctors at all. He puts in difficult lines for Pertwee because he's being a git. But oh, there you go, we can talk about Pertwee. But <laughs> the others, they've all got the same lines. They're not being written as a character. No, 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 no. But I mean, the, the dialogue itself is snappy and memorable. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's a cracking script. That's what you take away from the story. You take away the moments. It's one of Anthony Ainley's better master stories, I think. You see, I like all of Anthony Ainley's performances. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're one of those fans, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. 
What were you yeah, saying I... about a wife just now? <laughs> 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 You're making it up, aren't you? <laughs> I think any Doctor Who fan that's married is lucky to be married. <laughs> oh, He's speaking of which, Mark is also married. <laughs> yeah. My God, the three of us found women who will accept us yeah. in the same room as them. <laughs> no, that's the entire point. I'm in an entirely different room. Yeah, that's me how too. it works. <laughs> That's true, actually. I've had to shut the door. <laughs> yeah, so we're all shut off in different rooms. But, you know, we're almost there. We're under the same roof, and that's close enough. Yeah. Mm. What was I in the middle of saying? Five Doctors. The other thing about Five Doctors is I think people kind of gloss over the story. I think in, uh, you know, for, if it, if you're given the task of having to bring all those elements together, I think Terence Dix came up with a really good idea to do it. I don't know if he was incredibly clever or bloody lucky. Yeah. It, it is brilliant. I think you can't go wrong just... with it. The whole structure is just absolutely spot on. You can do yeah. what you like with that structure. If some, even if Hartnell, Hartnell, Herndl dropped out, you'd still be able to work a way around that story. You just, you would, yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. It's like, you know, yes, you're exactly right. You could Which may actually doctors. be why the lines seem to be written for a generic doctor. Because mm, I suppose it just got to the point where he thought, well, yeah, everyone's going to drop out. Mm. Doctor's got to do the whole thing. And so Terran Sticks has claimed that you just write for the doctor and you let the actor bring himself to it. Was that just him being lazy? Yeah, I, th- mm, I don't know, because I found that during the Russell T. Davis ones, Eccleston and Tennant were written for pretty much identically. I think you're right, actually. I didn't see much difference at all in the dialogue, just in the performances. But that's the problem with modern dialogue. It's all it's like Joss Whedon stuff. It's it's smart ass stuff. It comes quick and sharp and it's it's a bit too polished. They don't speak like normal people. They don't have conversations. They, they deliver don't. a line. It's you know what though? I don't mind that at all. I I think it depends what you're watching, obviously. But if yeah. you're watching something that's fantasy and that's obviously not real, I don't mind that at all. If you're going to get taken away in the fantasy, I don't mind getting taken away in the dialogue as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at something like Rose, which is clearly trying to say, you know, here we are in reality, we're on Earth, this is modern day Earth, these are real people living real lives, then you're not a fantasy. And then that dialogue starts to look very conflicting. Mm. It doesn't quite work. Well, maybe, but I didn't really think of... Well, this is the thing. I never really thought of Rose as being in the real world. To me, it always seemed like a cartoon version of the real world. Maybe that's because... It's the dial- Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. And maybe it's because of Keith Boke. But I actually rather liked what he did with that. It just it felt to me like a big live-action adventure with Scooby-Doo. I would be surprised if any Doctor Who fan wasn't blown away by Rose when they first downloaded it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't have a computer till three years after Rose was on, you know. I can believe that. Yeah, I'm. What do you call me, Mark? Oh, I couldn't possibly repeat <laughs> that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's not fuddy duddy. Technophobe? I don't know. Luddite? Yeah, Luddite. Something like that. I've only just got Skype, <clears throat> you know, so I could start doing these podcasts on it. Yeah. Outrageous and silly. <clears throat> Have you ever thought of slipping a sentence in as a competition and just checking if anyone does listen to them all the way through? <laughs> oh, people do. 
We know people do because they're always sending us emails telling me what an idiot I am for having said this, that, or the other. Oh, they do then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, you must spend a lot <laughs> oh, of time writing that, under pseudonyms. Was that a comment <laughs> on the kind of things I say? No. <laughs> okay, Matt, here's another question for you. Oh, go on. <laughs> well, you know, we're here to do questions. Let's, we'll consider this an interview. Have you ever given an interview before? Um, usually by email because I have a tendency to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Well, that's brilliant. They, they, then this is a that's first. podcasting gold. Yeah, absolutely right. I just think we've already sure... lost 100 customers. <laughs> Let's <laughs> see if we can make it 200. <laughs> just make sure you don't swear, otherwise we'll have to put an explicit tag on the episode and we've not had to do that yet. Well, no, that's just a dare, isn't it? That's a challenge. That is a challenge. It's a challenge for you not to. Okay, here's my question. I'm looking then, on Google now for swear words in other languages. You will <laughs> never know. Oh, interesting. Oh, somebody told me a really interesting one when I was a kid. I don't know if it's true, but I always remembered it in the hope that it would be. But I can't say it, obviously, now, can I? Because I've just said we're not going to get the explicit tag. Hmm. So, okay, we'll pass right <laughs> along. <coughs> and I might an Easter egg at the end. Yeah, I was going to say, I may slip it in later if we remember. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. Usually it's you, Matt, who keeps coming up with stuff like that. And yet, you're fishing it out of me, aren't you? That's another one there, really. (laughs) That's an unpleasant thought. Anyway, getting back to um, what we're talking about. I was going to ask... (laughs) Oh, yeah, the big question, yeah. Well, yeah, but we were all set to talk about John Pertwee for an hour, and we ended up not, so... Uh, Matt, what's your least favourite Doctor Who story? Hmm. Yeah. Are we, are we talking Doctor Who here as one long series, or are we talking about old Who, new Who? Well, I suppose we could be. I suppose actually, when I was when I was asking, I think I was thinking about the classic series, but because I don't know the episode titles for the new series, so <laughs> I'll end up sounding very bad. Like it's the one where something happens, you know, something does that. Have you actually seen all the new series? No, there's a couple. Of, I um, that that Ice Warrior one. I, I just turned that off after about five minutes. I just couldn't be bothered. Oh really? Wow. And the one with Maureen Lipman. I never got through that, and I've just realised they're both Mark Gertis ones. God. Yeah. Uh, but then he just sort he made of. Up for it, yeah, the Scarlet Horror was excellent. Was I really awesome. enjoyed that. What was that? The one with the Diana Regner daughter. <laughs> I like that for Diana Rig, but only for that bizarre thing dangling on her chest. <laughs> <laughs> the total recall thing. Honestly, how can we have that and people don't take the mick and yet they take the mick out of Delta and the Bannerman? Yeah, but, oh, you like Delta and the Bannerman then, don't you? Oh, I do, yeah. It's the music that does it for you. Yeah, it is, actually. I think that really helps. I think Kef McCulloch contributes a lot to those stories. They're very plodding if you watch them without a music track. Oh, yes, but... I've got well, a pre uh, cipher version of. Um, is that what they say, pre cipher? Yeah. You could. Um, <laughs> um, I had one of. Well, I didn't. I nicked it off Steve Roberts, but I had one of Remembrance of the Daleks, where it had no music, no sound effects on it, and it was all location sound. Oh, blimey. And the experience is incredible. It's such a different story. I should imagine, actually, that watching it like that feels more like watching the rushes. No. Mm, no, well, no, because it's all cut together and the effects yeah. are on there. Oh, the effects are on there as well. Just The visual the effects are on there, just no sound effects. So all you can hear is, who directed that one? Was it Andrew... Morgan. Morgan. I, yeah, was it? 
I think it was, yeah. Are we fan? There's three people here. One of us must know yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, God, I've got a program guide sitting right next to me. I'm looking it up now. And uh, Revelation, did you say? That's remembrance. Very... Remembrance. Uh... Andrew Morgan, yes, it's Andrew yeah, Morgan. Pay attention. Come on, guys, we should have more confidence <laughs> in what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe as well. I'm sitting here staring at a computer screen, and I reached over and grabbed a book to look it up. Like I said, well, that's luddite. the luddite in you. <laughs> <laughs> I Thanks, Matt. I don't want to think about the luddite in me. Is he putting you off? <laughs> <laughs> He's. It tickles. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. So. Um, I'm guessing yeah, Remembrance, Remembrance of the Daleks is not your least favourite Doctor Who story, then. Oh, God, no, I love Remembrance. Okay, least favourite. Um, but Delta and Abanaman, you like Delta and Abanaman. Uh, why do you like Delta and Abanaman? Everybody hates Delta and Abanaman. Why do you like it? They are don't you... hate it, but the, the only people in fandom that don't like stuff are the gobby loud ones, and that's yeah. all you can ever hear. And if you have another opinion, you're shouted down. So if there is a positive opinion on any story, you'll never get to hear it because there's this... Fandom is at its most loudest when it's angry. Um, yes. It's angry when it doesn't like something. This is what so, I find with the new series. I go on Rhubarbs, I say I enjoyed that episode, and the entire rest of the forum tells me where to take my opinion. Well, that's because they're right, because it's the new series. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> Delta and the Bannermen, we will get there. Will we? Oh, yes, but I mean, it's, I don't dislike it. It, yeah. it doesn't pretend to be anything that isn't. Even the title is very ridiculously camp. And I mean, this is this is full-on John Nathan Turner Doctor Who, I reckon. And I think that's why it's good, because it plays to all his strengths as a producer. Because it gives you everything you want. It gives you the, the music, the dancing. Then you've got the comedy, you've got the guest cast. You've got a bit of everything in there. And you really have got a bit of everything in there. Absolutely. And it's fun. You know, if people, you know, the people who don't like it, if they could just kick back and you know forgive the budgetary problems that are that's always a problem isn't it Mm. but you know you have to people if you look at 60s doctor people forgive 1960s doctor who for being recorded live in a television studio right so why can't they forgive the sylvester mccoy stories for having a reduced budget you know in real terms from when philip hinchcliffe was doing it but they can't one of the interesting things when you get the new fans the younger ones who didn't see that McCoy stuff when it went out, is that they have no frame of reference of the sort of crap that was on TV at the time. <laughs> this was the 80s. The production standards on everything were pretty poor. There's a lot of videotape drama out there, which the only reason they've never seen it since is because it's so bad it wasn't shown. But mm. Doctor Who had the prestige that it gets a DVD release. I wish I could think of an example, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because it's been 30 years. Yeah, let's look at, I mean, it's what year was Box of Delights? That was 83, wasn't it? Yeah. Actually, yeah, Box of Delights is something I missed at the time, and my kid brother was the right age for that. And he just raved and raved and raved about it. And then I watched it a few years ago, and I just found it a real struggle. Well, this is the thing. I've got great memories of it because I saw it when it was on. Mm -hmm. I I really like it. But even I can see they ran out of money by the last episode. There's some great effects, and there's some really appalling effects. All the stuff in the snow at the end is really bad, and it... It's a shame that they ran out of money at the end of the season, and it, it's like time flight. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't oh, just no, happen on, to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I like time. No, I'm oh, better not no, say I like on, time that's flight. A, that's a step I too think far. it's too late. 
You've done it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that's why when you buy the JNT book, you get the Time Flight postcard? Because, because when I saw that photo among the among the ones in JNT's collection, I said we've got to give that one out for free because I love that image of Concord in the snow. Wow. So, yeah. You you've come out on this podcast, Matt. You're never going to be able to live this down. But I might just have, and I hope he doesn't hear this Gary Russell syndrome, where I say I like the stuff that everyone else hates. Or, contrarily, you say you hate City of Death because everybody else loves it. Well, no, I really, well, I've got reasons to hate City of Death. I, I hate it even more than I did before the incident. But in terms of... Um, you oh. can't tease us with that and then not tell us what the incident the is. The extra. <laughs> the DVD oh, of course. Love. Yeah, of course, of course. I don't like the Graham Williams stuff at all. I, I can't get on with the Graham Williams era. Everything from, I mean, Horror Fang Rock is passable, but after that, it just it's just not a lot of fun until you get to we'll probably Keeper of Charkin. See, I'm kind of, I kind of to and fro on Graham Williams. I, even though I was young at the time, because that was probably from the age of about eight to ten for me, or something like that, and I could see it was problematic at the time. And when you had things like the mandrels and the nime on, I was just in shock. I was thinking, I can't go <laughs> to school on Monday and tell people I'm still watching this program. I love the nime on. Yeah, because you were three when they were on. Well, yeah, there is that. <clears throat> I mean, I, it's not even it's not even the budgetary or the costume problems because you've got that all the th way through. I mean, before it's you know, Baker, really, isn't it? Yeah, there's a spoiler coming here, but before you know that Coquillian is just someone dressed up, it looks rubbish. Hmm. It looks like a man in a suit. Yeah. It's a huge relief to find out it is a man in a suit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, when you find out that the villains this week are the Dominators and two guys with furniture upholstery on them step out <laughs> of a ship and just look in the distance, not facing each other with eight minutes of tedious dialogue, you know, those sort of limitations, costume and budget and everything like that, you can never take that into account when summing up any story, not Doctor Who, because it's always going to be the best they could do. It's true. I've always, I think it was J. Jeremy Bentham who said, uh, when he, do you remember Envision, the fanzine? Yes. And his mantra right at the very start was, nobody ever sets out to make a bad Doctor Who story. Sometimes <laughs> it just happens. And I've, I've, oh, I, I took that to heart when I read it. And I always, always tried to find, not necessarily the good in things, but if there's bad, I've always tried to not necessarily forgive it, but at least, look at why things are bad and try and separate what the intentions were from what the realization was and all this kind of stuff. I don't like disliking things, so I will always try and, you know, find a way to like things, even if they're not actually very good. Which is, which is admirable. But I think the problem stems from when the program maker isn't trying their best, and I don't think Graham Williams ever tried his best. Yeah, he had a lot of trouble with, well, so many things. And I don't think his heart was really in being a television producer. He retired to down here afterwards, you know. Oh, I, I didn't know, but I do now. That's informative. not another euphemism. But, no. I mean, I, you know, I don't doubt that, you know, he wanted to do the job that he was doing. I'm sure he... I'm sure he, th I just get the feeling it's a, a will do attitude. I don't want to diss him because obviously he's not around anymore. He can't defend himself, but I just got the feeling that when you saw the stories, there was a sort of a, a will do attitude. 
Maybe. I think it just all got on top of him, perhaps. Possibly. I think he lost his... I think he perhaps... Well, that first year wasn't the best year, and I think after the problems they had... I think the budget spiralled out of control, and Tom was just being a bit of a so-and-so, wasn't he? It all went pretty wrong for Graham Williams from the start, and I think that just knackered him. This thing with budget, though, I was looking at the budgets for uh, Williams' last season Hmm. and J&T's first season, and there's only a a couple of grand's difference. There's not a huge difference between the money. I think it was the inflation that was causing the problem, wasn't it? Yeah, Graham Williams started the season with X amount of money on the table, but by the end of the year, that was only worth a quarter of what it had been at the start of the year. I think that was his problem. He'd start off in fine style, but then by the end of the year, the money just wouldn't go where it was supposed to go. I suppose had things gone differently, that season would have ended with a probably for the first time with the story with the budget. Hmm. Yeah. Because it looks like money was being spent on Sharda, yeah. but it yeah. wasn't on Nyman. He saved the money for Sharda and then <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. that happens. And then the previous year he doesn't save the money for the Armageddon factor and it gets up on screen. <laughs> yeah, I think that would have been the worst season to lose the last story of, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. They, they, uh, well, I suppose they could have... No, I don't know. They could have added a five-minute coder at the end of Power of Grohl. Or maybe uh, if it had been in the days of web, you could have had five full stories on the telly, and then if you wanted to find out how the Key to Time saga was resolved, you have to press the red button or go online for a five-minute mini-sode. <laughs> I don't even know how it was resolved, because I can't get through any of those stories in that season. What? Well... Uh, no, there's some good stories oh, there. That's his there. best series. That's his All best right, how season. Does it, end? it ends with the key to time being assembled. Tom Baker does his uh, kind of scary face like he's going to take over the universe. Tom Baker realizes that the whole thing has been a setup because if you've got a balance between good and evil in the universe, if either of them get hold of the key to time, then that upsets the balance. So even though ostensibly the White Guardian has sent him out to find the key to time, he realizes that by giving it to the White Guardian, that will upset the balance just as much as it would if the Black Guardian had come into possession of it. So he disperses it back into the universe. So essentially, it was all for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. My God. (laughs) But you do get that moment, even though it's not spelled out as nicely on screen as I did just then, where you realise that it's all about uh, not upsetting the balance, you've got you start the season off with these two powerful, powerful figures who are locked in this eternal struggle, and you come to the end of the twenty-six episodes and you realise that that is how they've got to stay. How often do the Guardians come back in those six stories? Because they don't. The White Guardians in the oh. first five minutes of the first story. The Black Guardians in the last five minutes of the last story. So you get the man from Del Monte scene, yep. drinking his absinthe, <laughs> or his yep. creme de month, or whatever it is, and that's it. That That's, that's, that's him. the guy we're supposed to give a damn about for yep. the whole six stories. You know, yep. Oh, better help him out. That is dismal. Well, and people complain than... about Morgan Undead and all that with the birds on their heads. Oh, but yes. But that's just horrible. No, it's not. No, it's fine. It's just a bit of costume design. It's a bit of frippery. Jesus, it could, could be worse. It could be a June Hudson creation. I didn't like writing. No, I agree with you on that. Oh. I, I didn't like the writing for the Guardians in uh, Mordrin Undead, though. Terminus. Well, no, no one does. It was edited by Eric Sayward, wasn't it? 
Don't well, get him started on Eric Seward. Yes. <laughs> let's talk more about milk books, shall we? <laughs> oh, I'm drag that up when I slag off Eric Seward, for God's sake. <laughs> well, you know, it was a nice <laughs> segue. It's a terrible back. segue. <laughs> Well, it was only a segue in my head until you had to point it out what I was doing. Go on. <clears throat> well, we talked to Richard Marson two weeks ago, didn't we? So did I. And he came on, and he was supposed to come on and talk about Eric Sayward, and he spent an hour and 40 minutes talking about J&T in the book. Right. Shall I tell you what he said in the car on the way up to Manchester? <laughs> Go on. He said, you kept changing the subject. Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, if you listen to it, I do. <laughs> Because, uh, oh, well. He said, oh, I was supposed to be there to talk about Eric Sayward. We didn't even talk about Eric Sayward. <laughs> well, I kept trying to bring Eric Sayward up, but as soon as you... That's the trouble with Richard, and it's not a bad problem, but it's what he does. Like a lot of people, when you start talking about Doctor Who, you start talking about one thing, and then you get reminded of something else, and you kind of you, you kind of wander off a bit, don't you? Well, it's what fans do. This yeah. is the problem. When I first met him, which was only two years ago, but I interviewed him for the Justice Serve book, and I had three and a half hours to talk to him, and I spent we spent three hours gossiping about Doctor Who, mm. and then realised we had half an hour to quickly cram in the audiovisuals interview. So that's just what happens when fanboys get together. Well, it's true. You, you, you have to get it off your it. chest. Yeah. yeah, you do. You do. Mm. Tell just tell me, Matt. Because, of course, the J&T book was originally supposed to come out with a different publisher. Oh, Christ, you're not going to ask about that, are you? No, I'm not going to ask about why it didn't and all this yeah. kind of stuff. I, uh, only because I know you well enough to know really what your answer to this question is. But when it didn't go out with the other publisher and you got an email from Richard asking you if you would like to publish instead, yeah. what was your first thought? Well, going back those two years... Um, when I was doing that interview for the other book, he mentioned in passing that he was writing a book or what was thinking of writing a book about J&T. And my ears pricked up. I thought, I want that book. Yeah. So I then spent the next year occasionally emailing him and saying, hi, how's it going? How's that book coming on? Yeah, yeah. Is it good? Is it good? And he clearly never got the hint. In fact, I know he didn't. I asked him this weekend. And it got to the point where suddenly Phantom announced it, and I thought, you, I can't believe they got that. What, what? I really should have just stepped in and said, can we do it? You should have. You don't get if you don't ask. Know that now. This is what I was saying about learning from your mistakes. Well, there you go. <laughs> and then I actually got the call on my birthday in February yeah. um, on that night, and uh, yeah, straight away snapped it up. He, he emailed it over that evening. I think I got it. He emailed at 11.30 and I, was, I finished it at 3am. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. But um, that is a seriously good book. It, well, yeah, this is the thing. And this is why we were so protective of it. When we knew the tabloid stuff would kick off, and it's got nothing to do with the title, regardless what people say, the tabloid stuff was always going to kick off. Richard wanted to call it Page Turner, which... No. I, I, well, this is the thing. He likes that title, and I, I didn't think he knew that I didn't like it until mm. the other day. Um, I wanted to um, call it The Memory Cheats, but the trouble with that is that it doesn't cheat. <laughs> for the most, <laughs> most part, the memory's pretty accurate, actually. Um, but, yeah, um, we, we were protective of it as a book because we knew it was a good book. And there is such a thing as bad publicity. We found that out. And it's yeah. it's not a nice thing when you know when you believe in a book when you abs have absolute trust in a book and you see it getting sl getting not slaughtered but 
very badly represented by a lot of people, like fans. Um, there, there was someone on Twitter that was saying, it's full of lies. And then you ask them to say which lies, and they say, I don't know, I haven't read it. Yeah, That really got my back up, mm. because other people will read that Twitter comment and think, oh, that book's full of lies. I don't need to find facts to back this up. They, they say it's full of lies. And yeah. then um, when you get, got to be delicate here, when you get cast members saying the same thing on Twitter, and when you ask them if they can elaborate, so, if, if only so that you can correct the book. You know, if there's a lie in there, tell us what it is and we'll change it. But if they don't tell you or they can't think of something to tell you, you can't change it. So you have to assume that maybe what they're saying isn't entirely accurate and that it's not full of lies. <laughs> well, yeah. And the trouble with those kind of tweets is, you know, people read those and even if it does get, you know, even if afterwards you do get them to retract it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to remember the original tweet. They're not going to remember the retraction. That's the thing. I mean, we had a lot of trouble with it. We had um, the tabloids obviously had their idea of the book and they were focusing. They never got, no tabloid ever got to see that book before publication. And it was only this weekend that I found out how much they'd offered um, Paul Mount from Starburst mm. for his review copy, which he turned down. And they did the same with SFX, with the reviewer for SFX. Not only that, they tried to get a copy from Biddles, the printers. Oh, really? really? Yeah. They, they had a reporter down there trying to extract a copy from them because they saw that they were the ones wow. who printed our books. Um, they tried all number of things. They, they used to, their best one was phoning me, um, saying that they were from the printers and that there was a problem with the print run and could we authorize a, 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 a sample copy so that they could check it against the previous print run or something. Oh, um, fair. But then, but, but was, they never tracked me down. I'd have taken that money like yeah, a yeah, shot. I was. I you was. It. Pardon? You didn't review it though, did you? No, but I had a copy. That's true, you probably did, yeah. Um, <laughs> I well, no, I... there, there were a lot of people that did have a copy. And my my absolute gratitude is with people like Ian Berryman and Paul Mount because they didn't sell out. And they could have done. And it must mm. have been so tempting because we're not talking a small amount of money here. We're talking tens of thousands because yeah. that's peanuts to a tabloid. But to freelance writers, that's a lot of money. And yeah, certainly, yeah. for that matter, to an independent publisher, it was a lot of money. Um, they offered us quite a bit for serializing it and having a copy of the book to look at and interviewing Richard. But much as we could have taken that money, you still don't know how they're rep going to represent the book or no. the publisher or the author. You can't rely on anything. And you don't take money from tabloids because the, the you can't other, trust them. The, thing is, the other thing is, and I, th I think Richard and I said this, two weeks ago when we spoke but the thing is they serialize it but none of the people who read you know the daily bollocks are going to be interested enough to actually buy a copy whereas you know if it's serialized in the daily bollocks you know one That's in every five tag. yeah, yeah no, I I think so. I'm, I'm trying enough. so hard <laughs> not to swear <laughs> <laughs> we don't say we don't say the hard words we don't say the worst oh, words but the point is, if it gets serialized in the daily whatever, then on the forums, you know, one in five fans who would have bought it is going to yeah. not buy it. So actually, you've lost 20% of your sales. Do you know what, what happened that really surprised me? You know when Colin Baker, they use Colin Baker's image on the, mm. on the newspaper? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is regrettable, but yeah, that was another thing that annoyed me, by the way. On forums, they expected us to apologize for that. But 
I absolutely refuse to apologize for it because it wasn't our action. It was yeah. the actions of a tabloid. We can't apologize for something someone else does. That's their decision. That's their bad, you know, their bad research mm. and their lack of information, their ignorance. That's why they used that photo. And I was surprised at the time when he said that someone had shouted out pervert to him in the street on the basis of that. But then um, I was at my mum's house and she was having some plastering done and she had this, mm. um, this, this plaster in the hall and I'd just come in with a box of the books and he saw the, the front cover of the book with a picture of J&T and he goes, oh, he like children a bit too much. Oh, no. I thought, my God, it, it clearly does sink in because here's a guy from Poland who's never even heard of Doctor Who who recognises J&T's face from a newspaper and thinks he's a paedophile. So wrong, actually, Colin Baker probably mm. does have a very, very good chance of having that shouted at him in the street. And I, I don't know if he ever resolved that issue with them. I think they did print a retraction, didn't they? I don't know. I didn't see it if they did. I think they did. I think it was a tiny, well, obviously, it's always going to be a tiny apology from a tablet. Yeah. I actually think they did. Well, they had on the picture itself, it said, uh, John yeah, with Colin Baker, who was not involved. And the caption's <laughs> right in the middle yeah. of the photograph where you can't even see it. Yeah. Do you know what? If you were to print pictures up of anyone and put the sign above it, this man is not a paedophile, then I think that person has a right to complain. <laughs> yeah. Well, nine <laughs> times, nine people out of ten would just walk past, see the picture and see the word paedophile, wouldn't they? Exactly. I mean, uh, that, crazy. that's the responsibility of a tablet. And they know what they're doing. They know they're using a picture of Colin Baker for that reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although it was a strange doctor to choose. I mean, no disrespect to Colin whatsoever, but he wasn't the most popular of doctors. I would have thought they'd have used someone like Tom Baker's image. I wonder if it may have had something to do with the fact that he'd just been in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Uh, possibly. Maybe. Let's talk about happier things, Matt. Yeah, before before we stray into some sort of terrible legal territory. <laughs> oh, it's only a podcast. Nobody takes any notice. They've switched off. Yeah. Um. What have you? What What have Milk Books got coming up? Um. Deadlines. Lots and lots of deadlines. <laughs> all missed. Ooh. Jaunts late. Hulk's late. Peddlers late. <laughs> It's all late. The thing with but, deadlines... But uh, tell our listeners what the books are. What the books are. We've got... The next one out is Jaunt by Andy Davidson, which is a guide to the Tomorrow People, which I can't believe no one's ever written a book about. And he's done his work on that. He even managed to get hold of... Um, God, I hope I pronounce her name right. Misako Koba. Um, and although he did interview her, it, he didn't actually get much of any use oh. for the book. But he's mm. he's got a couple of quotes in there. And obviously, he struck up a really good relationship with Roger Price, which really helps yes. the book along. Um, and uh, Price gave his permission to use the unused script from the unfilmed last season. So oh, that's really? in the book as well. So you get a whole script in there as well. Wow. Um, and yeah, he's that... spoken to most of the other Tomorrow people. I think there's two people he couldn't speak to. I was I'm quite up, alarmed up. to find that one of them had posed for Playboy or something. Is Am I right about that? Well, I mean, the odds are for it, but I don't know who. I, to be honest, I'm, I'm hoping it's one of the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I spent months trying to find pictures, but he couldn't find anything. <laughs> no, Philip Gilbert I, or someone. <laughs> I think he... Uh, I can't remember what it was. I think he was... 
I think he was doing what Michael Celia always does on Facebook, and he was trying to find a piece of information or something, and he said, oh, anybody help me with this? And normally I don't see these things, but I just typed it into Google, and I got all these pictures from Playboy coming up, from somebody oh, yeah. apparently right, beating yeah, the yeah. tomorrow this is, people. Yeah. This is just for <laughs> excuse. For... That old chestnut. No, honestly, dear, I was looking for something from Michael. <laughs> yes, I'll yes, spell yes. his name for you. Absolutely. Spell Celia. S E no, you don't need no 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 no. <laughs> P E D L U R. Oh, that's oh. <laughs> that's why you're asking me. Someone might think you're joking, but I know you're not. <laughs> no, you're only asking me because I can't spell the word peddler, aren't you? Peddler and Sealy. I'm sure I can spell Sealy. It's not if anybody's got Sealy wrong, it's not me. Oh, okay then. I know his name, all right. But uh, Peddler, yeah, you're right. I, I finally got to meet all your colleagues, by the way, on Saturday. Of course you did. By the way, it's L-E-R. I know it is. Yeah, but that's why you asked me, because I always spell Peddler wrong. <laughs> you're so concerned that no one knew you were joking, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, I know, but... But the thing... Yeah. But the thing is, I've still got the program guide in front of me. <laughs> you really just look it up yeah i did i'll tell you why i always get it wrong though because i used to type it in and google auto corrects it that's my daughter's excuse at school mm. the spell checker does it for me how old is your daughter almost nine um i don't know if she'll remember me from when i met her before but she tell does. her she's oh really yeah we were talking about you the other day oh really oh, nothing God. complimentary <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think it would be. But tell no, her I was... wish her all the best with her arm. Oh, I know. Oh, she's been a nightmare today. She, no, she's, she's realized been that she a lovely. She's been a little poppet, and she's been cute, and you've been looking after her like a really lovely daddy. No, she's been bothering Rob all day because I was upstairs printing out dress labels, and he was downstairs boxing up books, and so she was sitting there playing Lego Batman and making <laughs> him play Lego Batman. And if you've ever seen Rob Hammond play Lego Batman. Wow, there's a sight to behold. <laughs> I don't even want to picture it. He's such a quiet <laughs> chap as well. I can't imagine him making the noises. I remember when Ben bought him an Xbox and gave him an Xbox, and it sat in the corner of the room like some piece of modern art. I don't think it ever got plugged in. Oh, he's a man after my own heart, then. <laughs> I can't. I'm not a games person. You surprised me, got... JR. No. Are you, Mark? Uh, I've been known to have a, a bit of a go. Right. Not, so, not so much more recently because I'm getting on a bit now. <laughs> I see, so am nothing... I, but I still play them. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with age, has it? We were talking about Lego well, Batman on my podcast actually the other day. We had uh, Stephen Schipanski on and uh, Erica Ensign. They've ah. recently discovered it and enjoy it. Her surname is pronounced how? I always pronounce it Ensign. Oh, I suppose that's probably right. How's it spelled? Uh, it's spelled E-N-I-S-G-N. No, it's not. Go on, how is it spelled? E-N-S-I-G-N. That's what I said. No, you didn't. What did I say? You did, you know. No. <laughs> You're well, playing is... with my head now, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway. It's a very yeah. strange surname, anyway. Hmm. That's no well, idea who we're talking about, anyway. No, I don't, but I think if you're going to say Ensign, then clearly you're outing yourself as a Star Trek Generation fan. Yeah. Well, she, she is, is American. She is American, so. 
You both say that like it's excusing her for something. <laughs> it's only a name. Well, I guess it's a pronunciation. Oh, but she's American. Thing, if, her surname <laughs> was, if her surname was Lieutenant, we'd probably be pronouncing it <laughs> Lieutenant, wouldn't we? <laughs> oh, that was nearly Rhiannon's first name when she was born. <laughs> You're kidding me. Lieutenant West. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like it. You should have. Oh, we experimented with a lot of names. <laughs> it's a big responsibility naming yeah. a child. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't think so, given what some of the kids these days seem to be called. Do you know, genuinely, for a boy's name, we considered Edward at one point, and the only reason we didn't do it is because I couldn't bear the idea of Ed Stradling thinking I'd named a child after him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Edward West, Ted West. But you think of all the names, and then you end up thinking, well, I know someone with that name. Do I want them to think I'm naming them after them? Yeah. Which is why people have ended up giving kids such outlandish names. Yeah. I remember a time once on Brighton Pier where we heard someone call their three kids Nissa, Tegan and Adric. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's a bit scary. And I can just imagine the tension in that household when two of them were born and the next one, I'm presuming they needed a boy or a girl to complete the set. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, your only option if if you were stuck would be chameleon. Because that can be, that's, that's unisex, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. But you've got to keep a Davison theme. I mean, you've got Perry, which doesn't really count. Well, you know, if it had been another boy, they could have just called it Fifth Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe, or maybe not. Great if your surname's Handbook. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, out of all the books that you've published, <clears throat> and not including the the JNT one, because I'm pretty sure that would have been the one you would choose. Which of all the books are you... Oh no, because this is a bit like asking you to name your favourite child, isn't it? You're going to ask what the favourite book is? Well, or the one that... Because I was asked this in an email interview the other day. Are we it? How did you yeah. answer? Obviously we can't include any of the you and who books. No, obviously. Well, they, they weren't in the list. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> it was a question of reasons... For each one, I mean, in all honesty, they're all my favourites. Well, but... I was going to ask actually, not which was your favourite, but which made you happiest to have done it. It's really selfish, but justice served. Yeah, that's fair enough. I because think that's what I, I would wanted have to do that book since I heard the plays, and it's been festering since 1992. Do you want to just say what they are for people who won't know? <laughs> Audiovisuals. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people probably listening to this won't know what audiovisual audiovisuals are, but they will know what Big Finish is. Yeah. I mean, now, Doctor Who on audio seems like such a normal, regular thing. Everyone's doing it. Fans do it. And, you know, Big Finish do it. You can't move for Doctor Who audio plays. Even Audio Go are doing their talking books. Mm. But in 83, 84, um, a bunch of fans got together and recorded their own plays. And they slowly grew. The, the first season is is quite am- well it's amateurish but it, it's it's quite simplistic it slowly improves as it goes on and then they did four more series and by the last series they were firing on all cylinders and the people that made them are the ones that mostly have gone on to form big uh, big finish so you had gary russell uh started it with bill bags and um, the companions were played by uh, richard marson <laughs> uh, among others 
Uh, he didn't play them all. That would be brilliant if he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made it sound so much better than it really was. He does a very good Sally Bags impression. Though. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Do you mean a physical um, impression or a vocal impression? Well, I think he'd have a bash at, at the latter and certainly do the former. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and the Doctor, of course, is played by Nick Briggs. Well, it's played by Stephen Payne in the first one, but Nick Briggs did it all the way through. And obviously... As things progressed, he began to write the music, he would direct, he would uh, you know, right, do right. everything except sing the theme tune, mm. which I bet he had a gun at. I bet he did. And um, yeah, they ran a long time. And there's a lot of um, the Big Finish guys and just generally new adventures-y kind of names involved. You had Nigel Fares, Jim Mortimer. Um, oh, God, I can't leave anyone out. I'll be in trouble. John Ainsworth. Oh. <laughs> this is supposed to be my specialist subject. I've got a copy right next to me. Of what? Of Justice Served is now. Did you buy it? <laughs> what do you mean? Thank did you. I buy it? I didn't didn't know you send me a free one? one? Oh, I might have done. No, no, you it's un- I no I don't think I would have done. I they were too expensive to send out free ones. <laughs> yes, I had to send. That is the only book that we had to send out. Probably more comps than we had pre-orders because so many people helped with it. Oh God, I bet they did actually. Yeah. Yeah, and it because they helped so much, it seemed wrong not to chuck them a book. And um, yeah, but I tell you what, everyone huge, was happy to help. It is huge. I don't know how that happened. I was it's talking such to a wonderful book. Just talking to Stuart Douglas this evening from Averse Books. Yeah, and we were talking about this that when we first started, the first thing we did because I knew I was going to do justice, so we put up uh, the pre-orders for it before I'd even started writing it. So I think we were taking pre-orders in September 2011, and it didn't come out till September 2012. And that was before we knew how much postage would actually cost. So we were charging £2 a book for postage, and then it came out at a kilogram, and it was £4.30 a book Ooh. to post. It's like Blue but Monday all also, over again. Yeah, but we charged £3 for overseas, just a generic price for overseas, because we were so naive, and it ended up costing about £14 a book post wow. it was a huge disaster it was a labor but, of love well yeah it was and we weren't going to make profit on it anyway because it was another of the charity books so charity still did well uh, what was it for um <laughs> amnesty and well it was meant to be for amnesty but in the end mostly it went to uh invest in me i'm just looking but i can't see it on the back oh it's- we'll just have to take your word for it it is. It's in the back pages. There's a, yeah. a picture of a cell door from the cover of Minuet in Hell. And <laughs> uh, but yeah, that one, I, I'm really pleased with that. give a shout out to Alan as well on that. Alan Harris? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I met up with Alan on Sunday. I was quite pleased. I haven't seen him for a while. Because um, we were doing, we were touring the book, darling, with, with Richard. Yeah. Um, we did the two fab cafes in Manchester and Leeds and saw Alan in Leeds. It was his chance to meet Richard as well. So, um, Oh, yeah. wow. I get yeah, to meet so... Richard next Saturday, actually. Oh, what's he doing? Um, oh, something private. Can't really say on there. Well, that sounds like a date. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm on a date with Richard next Saturday. Does his wife know? <laughs> uh, I don't think she does, actually. Actually, okay. Richard promised to come down because he has friends who live not very far from me. It's not very local. He's further away than I am. No, it's no, no. Like he's... A... Uh, oh, he's, no. he's down anyway. No, he promised to come down to see his friends and he'd pop in to see me. But that's not what's happening. I'm in London next weekend. Are you? Yeah. Only you very doing? briefly. I'll tell you after we go off the air. 
next weekend? Um, this Saturday coming. JR, you picked a very good weekend to be around. Oh, really? Can you be free for a barbecue? Um, probably not. That's tragic, man. Yeah. I know. We'll talk later. We'll we talk will. Later. We will. I can't believe we're doing this on the air. <laughs> anyway, I think we've taken up our allotted time. Thank God. So, um, I don't know, Mark, is there anything else you can think that we ought to get out of Matt now that we've finally persuaded him to uh, do a podcast? Well, I think he should probably give a little plug for a certain book series edited by... Me? Well, yeah, I suppose. Do you know what? Right in front of me, I've actually got Mark's order, which hasn't been posted. Oh, really? Because, because you ordered. You must have ordered after Saturday. Yes. You're right. Yeah, yeah, we'd run out by then. Oh, right. Rubbish, rubbish, Mark, rubbish. Oh. Well, I it, know it my will go wasn't out. that great, but you know, you can have a go. <laughs> but it'll go out on the 27th of June, roughly. I think that's when we're expecting to restart. Excellent. So, um, yeah, it'll be posted out. That same wasn't day why I asked here. you to plug the book, but thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, excellent. No, customer JR's service. books. JR um, did. Uh, yeah, people, people who listen to this must know about that book. You must plug it. Yeah, every I've no idea why Mark really thinks we ought to plug it because we have mentioned, not to mention it. it that much. Then, no, not that much. And should we really plug it while it's out of stock because people are going to annoyed when they go and order Building it? Building anticipation. Actually, what usually happens on this podcast is I don't mention it, and Mark takes the mick out of me for talking about it too much. Which and story? This is the only about? person, the only person who ever talks about it on this podcast is therefore Mark. I'm doing my best for you, Matt. <laughs> Mark, which story did you cover? Oh dear, it was City of Death. City of Death. Is that the one you wanted to do, or is that the one you settled on and tried I, to yeah, work I your to article do it, around? And then I thought, why on earth have I decided to do this? But well, Mark had insider knowledge. He picked that story before yeah, I even put it early. up on the uh, internet. So yeah, he got in there very early. That that was tense stuff, wasn't it? As those as those lists slowly oh, filled yes. up. Mm. Um, anyway, as like... as Mark's about to find out, he didn't actually, in the end, cover any of the stories. <laughs> I rewrote his essay from scratch. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Always um, a lot. Have you read your essays yet, Matt, and seen what I've done to them? I've seen there's a spelling mistake in one of mine. Really? That's JR. Yeah. Oh, uh, I've not, it's not about Kit Peddler, is it? Surely. No, it's it's... If I remember rightly, it's out instead of hour, or hour instead of out. It, the what? R and the T are mixed around. So it's the Hitler episode that I still don't know the title of. <laughs> oh, I do know the title. It's Lecky Whitley, yeah. I still can't believe that's actually a title. Um, that must yeah. have been your own spelling mistake, because I didn't touch your essays. They should have called it, I can't believe it's not Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> that actually I works can... for the story as well. <laughs> I can't believe it's called it, I can't believe it's not Hitler. Yeah. But no, there's a spelling mistake in that one, and I just slammed the book shut in disgust and cast it aside. <laughs> oh, God. Because that happens with every one of our books. I don't know you, if you... I can tell you this, then. Do you... Have they... Uh, uh, is it too late to make any changes with the reorder of the stock? Oh, for God's sake, what's wrong? <laughs> is it too late? I'm not telling you if it's too late. Well, I haven't paid the deposit yet. Go on, what? <laughs> if it's not too late, I'll tell you. If it's Go too on, late, I'm that? not telling you. But it's two things. One of them was pointed out to me, and one of them I noticed. Are you ready right. for this? Go on. I we may go past the explicit tag with this. 
the contents page in the front of the first book goes out of sync on the last three chapters. The contents page on the first book? The, the volume, second what? book, volume two, apparently goes out of sync for The Matrix, The Eleventh Doctor and The Tenth Doctor by about three pages or something. Well, who's going to want to read about those? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's only a minor thing. Oh my looking, God. No, it's not minor. That's quite major. We'll look into that before we get that okay. reprint confirmed. Go on, what's the other one? Uh, you're not going to like this. What, it's, is the cover the wrong title or something? Well, it's a cover thing. Covers, oh, really? Yeah, covers. You can't change covers, can you? It's too late to do that, isn't it? No, go on. Um, they've both got the blurb from the first You and Who book on the back. No, they've got whatever you sent us. No, they haven't. They've got the blurb from the very first You and Who book on the back. Well, it still covers the bases, doesn't it? It does. It does. So it doesn't <laughs> Do you know matter. What happened and I there? wasn't going to bring JR it up. It's just JR being lazy and sending you the same file again. Couldn't be bothered to Do write know, a new I blurb. I think it might be you being lazy because I seem to remember asking you for new blurbs because I didn't like the ones on the website. I, I sent you new blurbs. <laughs> but they were both identical except for the last sentence and those are the ones I asked you to change. Uh, no, we sent you, me and Chris, we actually sent you new blurbs as well. I can't believe we're doing this in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> well, no, this, this is probably a pretty good insight into how these things go horribly wrong. It probably um, is, actually, yeah. We did, I, I know me and Chris, we actually spent a whole afternoon writing new blurbs. Ah, uh, so we must have sent them. Right, we'll, we'll have a look at that. Mm. Only they're, they're, they're not, no, no, we'll, we'll change it. I mean, it, we've... We, we're now on the fifth edition of the J&T book. Wow, wow. Because there's wow, just little tweaks here and there all the way through that. Mm. I'll tell you something about the J&T book. There's no second edition. If you, if you were to buy all the copies that are out there, you'd never find a second edition. There's a first, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so what happened to second? Uh, Biddles went under. Oh. <laughs> and we'd already put a reorder in with CPI. Mm. So there's no such thing as a second edition because when Biddles wow. printed the last minute order, they used the newer file. So it's the third edition. Oh, God. Well, that's yeah. interesting then. But so I mean, it's... look, I mean, this is, it's not the world's worst problem. You say the front index. Yeah, the contents of the front rather than the index at the back. So it's literally. Well, most people are using the index at the back, surely, because they're going into. I would have thought so. Somebody pointed it out to me, and it's only one. No justification. We we will get that changed, but yeah. Interesting. The blurb on the back, though, that's a bloody mystery. How did that happen? Well, I don't know, because it's the same blurb on the back of both volumes as well. Check the Dropbox now. Where are the files? CPI. You and Who Volume 1 cover. What have we got here? You're the story of you and him. I can't believe we're doing this while we've got the recorder going. <laughs> well, no, I don't mind. Yeah, this, this yeah. is um, it means this is how all, you find out about these things. It means that all three books have got exactly the same blurb on the back. But actually, that's not the worst thing in the world because they are. Well, no, it's still of descriptive books, of the content. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's that's just baffling. I mean, mm. it can't be as bad as Deadly Dangerous Tomorrow. That was our biggest embarrassment. What happened? The spine says "Deadly Dangerous Tomorrow." No, no, and that was the first time. That was when we'd already done a few books and we had a bit of confidence, and we thought, okay, rather than do the small order and check them, you know what's happened? We'll just jump in with the big order. Go on. You know what happened? It's Rhiannon, isn't it? Deadly Dangerous Tomorrow, and <sighs> she. I bet she was. I bet she was playing Batman with Rob when he was doing those covers, and he put the wrong blurb on because he's distracted by Batman Lego. I'll tell you what it was. We we got complacent 
it was as simple as that. You you get a bit of confidence when a few go right, and they had mostly gone right up to that point. And we all glanced at the cover, and that was the least of our worries. Yeah. If, if there's any errors in any of the, the early books, it's usually on the title verso page. Mm. Because that's the page you never look at when you're proofing or editing. No, no, you wouldn't, would you? You just kind of take it as read that is right and move on, don't you? I read one the other day. I won't say which publisher it was, but it's a fan independent publisher. And the title Verso is obviously copied from another book because it's got the same title, ISBN and date. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> right, Matt, we've kept you long enough, I think. Yeah, I think so. You didn't really <laughs> want to do this. You're going to get a nasty surprise when this goes out live over the internet and people start emailing you saying, what the hell have you done? And they want their refund for you and who? no they'll have if it gets corrected in later editions then they'll have the really rare first edition with the wrong blurb on that's the thing that's that's what we said with jnt that first run of jnt has a little addendum slip in it and those are collector's editions absolutely not as nice collector edition as the hardback i have sitting here next to me yeah those hardbacks (laughs) are rather lovely aren't they Mm. I'm disappointed that we those were a success because I was against them all along and then they sold really well. Oh, uh, well. me wrong. <laughs> Mine's been up on eBay on a buy it now sale for the past two months. Oh, really? Yeah, £50,000. Nobody's bought it yet. <laughs> I saw one sold for... <laughs> was it for, Mr. Um... D. Mirror? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. One sold for 79 quid a hardback on eBay. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know. It would have gone on for a lot more than that. Well, it was quite early mm. um, in the run, but... I th- there was one guy that bought three. Yeah. And so he still kept. She still kept two then. Yeah. Well, no. He, I think he's probably saving the other one. Maybe that's the fifty thousand one. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Or maybe Russell T Davis is eBaying his version because he no. got a hardback. Yeah. He's not going to eBay that. He's going to keep that. He's a fanboy. Isn't he just? <laughs> mm. Cool. Right. right. Uh, well, we'll sign off as we came in. I was JR. I was Mark. And I was Matt. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Matt. <laughs> we'll speak again soon. See you now.